moments. Life is full of moments, and, and many of those moments mark us literally forever. We'll never forget those moments. And I had one of those moments. Uh, I was single. I was living with two roommates, so we were not eating very well. And we were invited over to this family's house to just have a simple dinner one night, or so we thought. So we went over to their house, and uh, I honestly don't remember what we ate. But I remember sitting on the back porch. It was one of those beautiful Colorado nights that, like, everyone in Texas is jealous of. And there was no humidity. It, it was just a beautiful night. And I honestly only remember the lemonade. That's the only thing I can remember that we consumed that night. But I remember just being so relaxed, so at ease, and just sitting for hours. I remember the conversation was deep. I remember I was so encouraged by just being around a family. And there was some chaos, you know, and kids were running around. But there was deep conversation. They were asking us questions. They deeply cared about us. And I will never forget that moment. Not because of what we ate, not because of what we drank, but because of the conversation. That moment literally marked me. And moments have a way of doing that. Now as we're talking about, there are things that we have lost sight of that are so powerful that we should not forget them. But for whatever reason, in the midst of life, we just do. And hospitality is one of those things. So before I go too far with hospitality, some of you in here have a gift you have a passion and you are incredible at hospitality, but you don't believe that you are. You believe the lies that you don't love cooking enough or you're not good at cooking. You don't have a big enough home. You just don't have that vibe, that kind of Martha Stewart in you that some other people have. So hold with me just a second. Let's hold space for this idea of hospitality because it's not what you think. It's not just this amazing meal that, that I speak of, but there's something that happens in those moments where we are around people that we love and who are open to us that just opens us up for transformation. Think for a moment about a time like that that you had. Maybe it was in somebody's home, maybe it was over a cup of coffee, maybe it was over a meal. Think about a time you just felt fully loved and cared for by somebody else. I bet what's present in the moments that all of us are thinking about is that somebody just invited us deeply into relationship. And here's, here's what I believe, and here's the one thing today. Hospitality isn't simply a full table. It's an open life. Hospitality is an open life, guys, not simply a full table. You're probably picturing this beautiful table and some meal or feast that you could never cook. And you're saying, by the way, oh, I have little kids. Like, that just doesn't work when we set the table. Like, it is enough to just wrangle every kid here. If we could put Velcro on their butt just to keep them at the table, that would be, a, oh, my bad. I'm the only one in here that's ever thought that. That's, let that be my confession. But, like, to say meals aren't exactly relaxing in this season of life. So push that out of your brain for, for just a second. Because I think what hospitality isn't is maybe even more helpful to us than what hospitality is. So let me start with that. What hospitality isn't? Lighting candles, perfect place setting, large feasts, inviting your small group over to your home, Southern Living Magazine, or a perfectly clean home. All right? Some of you are like, oh, okay, good. Maybe I'm qualified. So here's probably what you're picturing. Like when you think about hospitality, you're picturing this banquet table and, and this feast. 
sound unrealistic to anybody else. Or like maybe candlelit. Oh, you're going to have them over. It's just hours of deep conversation. Um, said no one with little kids ever. I mean, that just doesn't happen. So here's what I believe hospitality is. Here's what we're talking about today. Relational presence. Being relationally present. Leaning into relationship when you want to lean out. You know that moment where it gets just too inconvenient? It gets just too hard, just too messy, just too painful. Uh, I'm out. And I want to lean out when you lean in. Inviting someone in, even after they've turned you down. You know that feeling? You're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to risk that again. That was too painful. Loving people who don't fill your tank. You know those people. They drain you. Creating space for people to feel comfortable being themselves. See, that's what happened on the deck that night. Was they said, just come on in. You don't need to bring anything. You don't need to worry about anything. Just come on in as you are. And Jesus was the master of hospitality. Not Martha Stewart. Jesus was the master of letting people in to his life. Guys, here's the reality. Here's often what hospitality looks like. Just saying, all right? Can anybody else identify or is it just me? Like, if you, wow, man, she got really excited back there. All right, we, we have some Little Caesars. I'm not paid by Little Caesars, by the way. Free advertisement, you know, for the, um, as some would call, hot and sweaty or also hot and ready uh, pizzas this morning. Um, you know, five, $5 of goodness. Uh, guys, sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes people want to come into my life, and here's the reality. I don't even have time to set a table. I barely have time to kick some toys aside push the laundry down the stairs, hope that they don't see it, and say, come on in right now, right as you are. Come on into our home. That's what I'm talking about. This is the kind of hospitality that Jesus was living out. See, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and Satan whispers in our ear, you don't have what it takes. You don't have that kind of hospitality. You're not the person that takes you know, bread over to a new neighbor in the neighborhood. Which, by the way, I think that's like 50 years ago. If you do that, like I want you to live next door to me, but I don't think that's very common. We are judging ourselves many times against an impossible standard, and this is one of those things we need to go retro on and come back to something that I believe has huge power. Guys, I've got great news as we talk about hospitality this morning. The bar is really, really low right now. I take comfort, my friends. The bar is low. You look someone in the eyes without earbuds in your ear, without looking at your phone. And they're like, oh, a conversation. There's a human in there. I, I haven't seen a human in, in the longest time. Somebody in the checkout line. I mean, that could be a neighbor to stop for five minutes or 25 seconds and ask them a question. can be mind-blowing. And I'm not even kidding, guys. The bar is so low today that I believe we, as the people of Jesus, actually have an incredible opportunity. Like, I'm crazy enough to believe that we could be hospitable people. And I want to share some pieces of our own story. Here's the reality, guys. Hospitality in your life is going to look different for three different reasons. Number one, how God wired you. The way you're going to be hospitable and you and you and you is going to be different from the way that I am. Based on how God wired us. And that is just who we are, things that we love, things that we're great at, things that we're terrible at, and spiritual giftings. Number two, your season of life. All right, so probably not going to be a ton of feasts going on when you have little kids. And if so, you are a ninja. Hats off to you. That is not me, okay, in this season of life. And the last one is your resources. Your resources. 
I don't believe God expects us to steward things that somebody else has. You're probably comparing it to something that was incredible, like a once a year type thing in somebody else's life. And you're saying, I can't do that. I'm not Joanna Gaines. All right. Hey, I ain't Jojo either. All right. But we are talking about being fully present to the people God has put around us. Okay. And I, I am so convinced that Satan gets a foothold and says, oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you're not open enough. Everybody, every single person in here can slow down, ask a question, have a conversation, and be fully present with others. So the story of how it happened for, for us is going to be very different than your own story. I was walking my kids to school, and you know, it, it, I, I had a kid here and, and a kid here. And it was one of those seasons I was honestly just barely surviving. We had had just a terrible tragedy in our family. And it was one of those seasons where just surviving is thriving. You know what I mean? Like just showing up to work, like just getting through the day. It was like, God, give me enough strength to get through the day. It was an awful season in our family. And I was walking my kids to school, and there were all these people that I, that I would see every day. And just kind of give the classic American silent treatment, like, you know, what's up? But I really don't want to get to know you. And I, I remember seeing people and looking in their eyes and saying, they have pain in their eyes. And, and if we're struggling this much, how much more are, are they potentially struggling? What's going on in their lives? I remember saying, I see these people, but I don't really know these people. It's like sitting next to somebody at a stoplight or sitting next to somebody at the theater. And you're like, I think I get the armrest, not them. You know, like I, we're, we're present, but we're not present. You know what I'm saying? We're next to people. And we just thought, you know what? We should get to know these people. That was the first thought. Hospitality starts with a thought. What if we had relationship with these people? And, uh, well, they have kids. We have kids. What do all parents need? Well, we need caffeine because we're exhausted. I mean, just look at us, you know. Just walking around, you know, trying to shake, shake off the day, shake off the sleep or the lack thereof from last night. We need caffeine and we need conversation. We all need to talk about our kids, right, the good, bad, and the ugly. And we're like, what if we just drank coffee on this corner together and had conversation. Like that was the brilliant plan, guys, literally. What if we just had coffee together? So we started with this ragtag corner, this, you know, little wedge of space and thought, huh, maybe this could be a spot. Now this is right across from a school, uh, right in our neighborhood. I mean, just feet from our house. We thought, what, what about this? And so we asked permission and we got the opportunity to, to spend time there. And guys, over the years, it's developed into this. This is what our Friday mornings look like. Guys, eight years later, we're still drinking the same mediocre coffee with amazing people. It's that simple. Like, that's the extent of the brilliant idea. Really? Like, coffee and people, and you'll just talk. Yeah, that's it. And that's still what we're doing. It's so easy that any of us can do it. For many, for, like, many times, we just kind of gather in our driveway, notice there's like weeds and stuff there that like I should have weeded before people came over. And there's a grill there and we're like, just bring whatever foods. And we have older neighbors. And so I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know like what they're going to bring or, you know, and, and they have like the 1970s Tupperware they came sporting. And I was like, oh man, that's an antique right there. Talk about retro. You know what I'm talking about, guys. That was the good stuff. And they come up with these casseroles and just food I haven't seen in like 20 years. And incredible opportunities to just be with them. This is our postman at his retirement. We hosted a party for him. We're all going around and sharing how he had been so caring and loving. Guys, there's not a huge trick to this. You invite people in. You figure out ways to love other people. And
And then you just keep leaning in when you want to lean out. One time we did this carol sing in our house. And you're like, what? A carol sing? Yeah, we didn't know what we were doing, okay? We have a piano, and our neighbor's going to come over, and we're like, uh, like, what is a... We didn't want to do like an ugly sweater Christmas party because they had the original ugly sweaters like before it was cool and they resold them. And we didn't want to make them feel bad that their sweaters were ugly. So we're like, what do you do? So we're like, cookie exchange and Christmas carols sing at our house. I'm like, no idea if this is going to work. So we have young, we have old, and then people start walking in who we have no idea who they are. We're like, where are these people coming from? Well, I remembered that the week before we had said to our kids, hey guys, remember, everyone's welcome at our house and feel free to invite your friends. So the flyers that I had handed out to all the neighbors, one of my kids was like, okay, cool. He said everyone's invited. So he throws them in there. He hands them out to his whole kindergarten class. Like, who knew? He actually believed everyone is welcome. So these random people are walking in. I'm giving my wife that look like, do you know these people? No, I don't. Hey, come on in, guys. What was your name? And I'm really like, who invited you? Like, give me some context here. Right? All right. Like, we've, this is great. We've created an issue here. And I, I, they're like connected to all these kids here. And I go, oh, that's what happened. And simultaneously, I thought, I'm so proud of my son. And how in the world did we end up here? And it was one conversation of, what if we knew these people we walk past every day? Guys, this is the beautiful mess we live in that is not a genius thing. It's so simple. Anybody can do it. I believe every follower of Jesus is called to hospitality. Not a full table, but an open life. We are called to invite in. And remember, guys, biblical hospitality is not what we think of as hospitality today. Again, not the Southern Living Table or Martha Stewart. Everything's perfect, but it's actually an openness to the outsider. Inviting in the outsider. So this isn't just, you know, hey, I have a few Christian friends over. That's amazing. That's more like fellowship than it is hospitality, which is inviting in the outsider, the pushed aside, those who maybe are lonely and not invited to tables like you can imagine. Several weeks ago, I was convicted, man, we, we really haven't done a gathering in a while, just for no reason. The winter's harder on a lot of people. We have three widows living in our neighborhood right now who within the last year have lost their husbands. And we thought, let's just do a gathering for no other reason. It's not a party. It's just, hey, come on over to our house next Sunday night. It was beautiful, and we sat there, and our next-door neighbors, they're in their mid-80s. As they were leaving, they said, hey, guess what? It's our anniversary tonight. And they chose to spend that anniversary in our living room laughing with our neighbors. Again, God, how do we get into this? You keep saying yes. You keep leaning in when you want to lean out and saying, what are we doing here? There was the time that I was taking the trash can out to the curb, which can be like an awkward moment, right? They're like, you know, can I go out there in my PJs? Can I, like, sneak out there real quick before people see me? So it's one of those moments. So I'm, like, sneaking out there, and my neighbor across the street decides to share the deepest information about her life she ever had. Her trauma, her wounds, her baggage. You never know when you lean in when other people are going to lean in also. That was the moment. I can't really predict it anymore. I can't really say, oh, this is going to be an amazing time. Or, uh, this one's not going to bear any fruit. Guys, keep leaning in, and we'll see what God wants to do in relationship. One more story, and, and this one, not a good one. So, there's this thing that happens to people who preach. Aaron can probably attest to this. When you get up on a stage and you're going to share about something, God often makes you the anti-example of what you're supposed to do. So, this week, uh, last week, my wife was away, 
and uh, we have four kids, three different schools. Let's just say it was ugly, okay? I got it done. My kids are alive. They got to every place they needed, but not much else. I mean, it was ugly. So you know that moment when you get to the bottom of the pantry in the fridge and there's no longer any combinations of food left that works? You, you know that moment? And then your kids get all whiny and they're like, Dad, we don't want to eat rice and beans for breakfast. And you're like, these kids these days, you know? I mean, seriously, they're so entitled, this next generation. Kind of like, this is great. This is old mac and cheese from two days ago. Come on, kids, what's wrong with you? And so I'm like, I better run to the grocery store. So I go to the grocery store. I've got one kid with me here. The rest are at home. Everything's fine. And at the stoplight, we're ready to go left. Green arrow hits, and the person doesn't go left. And they kind of go out a few feet. And I'm like, oh, teenage driver. And then we go through another cycle. They don't go again. And I'm like, oh, person just learning stick. And then the third time. And I'm like, I have an hour here. You're killing my window. Uh, and so I just decide. I look over. And, and I totally Jeff Gordon this thing. And go, felt like I was on two wheels. Went around. And my son, my youngest son says, whoa, dad, that was aggressive. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. You know, like kind of feeling a little bit like, yeah, like I'll show them. They don't stop. And I literally, like, two or three minutes later was like, did their car just die? Like, is there an old woman stuck at the light? Because I'm just racing past. Guys, busyness kills hospitality. Busyness kills this, this open life. Like, I didn't even care in that moment anything else but me. Whoa. God. Story, situation, doesn't matter. I care about me. I care about doing this next thing, guys, busyness closes pathways to love. Busyness closes the pathways to love. When we are so busy, we are so consumed, we are not thinking about other people. What happened to them that day? I didn't know and I didn't care because I had my path and I was feeling behind. And a few weeks ago, I talked about space. And I want to share straight from Scripture here how Jesus talks about space and how Jesus talks about hospitality. And there's so many examples, right? Jesus found himself at Matthew's house at this party. Wouldn't you, you love to see what Jesus was like at a party? I mean, I bet you people were just drawn to him. I bet you people wanted a conversation with him. I bet you he was so present with people. But we find the disciples in an interesting space. Ministry is blowing and going and Jesus has places to go. But in this moment, it's interesting what happens, guys? Before we push on, remember this. Guys, frantic lives don't have space for hospitality. Frantic lives don't have space for hospitality. And we see Jesus in an open space right here. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Let me stop there. They were on their way. They were going somewhere. They perhaps were like me going to the grocery store. They had a place to go. They had a mission to accomplish. But he's able to pause. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what, listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Pay attention to that word, distracted. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? This is awesome. Tell her to help me, right? So 
I'm calling you Lord. I know you have power. So if you could just tell her to get in here, that would be great. I can only imagine what she's thinking. It's probably, this is a big deal. This is how we commemorate a big deal. Is we do stuff. We make sure that this meal, that the food fits the occasion. Anybody ever felt the same before somebody comes over? I'm busy. I'm distracted. I'm going to make sure they feel deeply loved. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Man, one, that one thing. Few things are needed, in fact only one, and I believe what he's talking about is relationship. One thing is needed here, it is relationship. I believe what he's saying is more than what you can do for me, I want you to be with me. Again, any relationship that is based on production has lost sight of the love at the heart of the relationship. Guys, we often forget the gift of hospitality is the relationship. Not something that we produce or a meal for the relationship. Guys, the gift of hospitality is truly being able to lock eyes in relationship. And that's hard, is it not? We're busy, we have responsibilities, we have places to go, we have meetings, we have kids to get to this place, we have friends to go see, we have work that needs us a little bit overtime on this day. And as I talked weeks ago, and we kicked off the year with this idea, busyness kills. And many times it kills our compassion. It, it kills what we could see in other people. Guys, this is a story of good versus best. What is good is to prepare for people, to bless people, to do things for people. You know what's best? To be truly with them. To be truly with them. And I have found that any time a conversation locking eyes with people is better than the best meal or taking a good meal and making it incredible or making sure that it's perfectly ready when they come over. If you know somebody well enough, it's almost a bigger compliment. Hey, come on in. I'm just getting the noodles ready. Hey, come on over. I got some hot and ready's right here, man. They are hot and ready. Let's go. Good versus best. Guys, the essence of hospitality is love expressed through presence. The essence of hospitality is presence. Jesus' last gift to the disciples was not a pendant was not something made of gold or etched with their names on it or a plaque to put on their wall. The, his last gift before the crucifixion was relational presence at a table with Judas, who was about to betray him, or about to, yeah, be, betray him deeply, relationally, about to literally hand him over, and with Peter, who was about to deny him. Yeah, deny that he was with him, that, that he cared about him. This is Mark 14, 12 to 25. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples ask him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? Let me stop there. Really interesting. They're saying, we're going to go prepare the meal, but what they don't know is that Jesus is actually the gift in relationship. He's the gift, not, not the meal. So, as they regularly would do, they would have Passover meals, and yet Jesus had a special plan for this one. So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room so I can eat the Passover meal 
with my disciples. Let me stop there. Jesus is that guy that's like, yeah, yeah, head on down to that street, walk into that shop, and just like say that John sent you. Okay. Like he's that guy. He's saying that. And you're like, okay. And they do it. Right? They trusted him enough. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. What's interesting is that hospitality isn't a solo gig. It's a team thing many times. It's really hard to prepare big feasts by yourself. It's really hard to clean the house sometimes by ourselves. It's really hard sometimes to do what God has called us to do by ourselves. But he has other people orchestrating pieces of this. That's where you should prepare the meal. So the space is already set up, right? The event planner's there, the room's set up, and yet they're going to come in, they're going to prepare the meal. So the two disciples went into the city, found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from the bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it is for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for the man if he had never been born. Guys, let me stop there. What he's sharing there, I don't believe is condemnation, but is pain. He's saying, this is painful for me. He's not saying, it's, it's all good, whatever. Whatever, this doesn't, this doesn't even hurt. There's no pain there. He's saying, I choose to be relationally present with the people who are about to hurt me. Sound like Thanksgiving dinner to anyone? Just got real? Oh, okay, he went family on us. Yep, I did. It's complicated, isn't it? It's complicated. To sit down at, at a meal with somebody who has hurt you, who you feel awkward with, who you don't know how to engage with, like that is real life and relationship, but Jesus modeled it. He didn't say, oh, I've got dinner for 10 of you, these other two guys, no way, you're out here. He comes to the table and his gift is relationship. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. For this is my body. Guys, communion didn't happen at little tables on the side of buildings where we worship. The first communion happened in the presence of people who were deeply about to hurt Jesus. And yet he said, come on in. We are still in relationship. He took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them. They drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it in the new kingdom of God. What a moment. What a moment. And he's so present with them. And he's saying, yes, this is painful for me, but I choose to be in relationship. I want to ask you a question. What's getting in the way of you being present with others? What's getting in the way of you being present with others? Is it your busyness? You're just going too fast that you don't have time? Is it your relational wounds? The thing that they said, the thing that they did, the backstabbing that happened, that you never want to see that person again, let alone like be locking eyes with them at a table? Is it excuses? 
Are you saying, oh, I just don't have blank. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough space in our home. I haven't mowed the lawn yet. I've heard all the excuses, guys. When I talk about neighboring, people are like, oh, but you don't know. I live in an apartment. Then go out somewhere. Then invite one person over. I bet you have one more seat at your table. Is it shame of thinking that I'm, who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. Remember, guys, Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy, and distract our compassion. There's something going on today in our world, guys. It's called compassion fatigue. I want to, I want to read this definition before we close. I think it's very, very helpful to know what's happening in our culture as a whole. Compassion fatigue, what is it? Compassion fatigue is a condition characterized by gradual lessening of compassion over time. People who experience compassion fatigue can exhibit, exhibit several symptoms, including hopelessness, a decrease of experiences of pleasure, constant stress, anxiety, sleeplessness or nightmares, and a pervasive negative attitude. Sound like kind of a macro version of our culture to anyone right now? Compassion fatigue. What is it? Well, journalism analysts argue that news media have caused widespread compassion fatigue in society by saturating newspapers and news shows with decontextualized images and stories of tragedy and suffering. This has caused the public to become desensitized or resistant to helping people who are suffering. Is that not the cultural epidemic of our day? To, to say there's images we see all over the world of bad things happening. There's news flashes of people who are taking advantage of people. Do we need to be wise? Yes. Have we taken in so much that we actually believe that we are not to be ministers of the gospel? Agents of reconciliation, open in relationship? Yes. Satan is having a heyday stealing our compassion away and I don't receive it. And I hope you don't either. The people I've met on curbs, we've shared tears with. We've shared mediocre coffee for years together that's led to relationship. One guy brings coffee every, or one guy brings baked goods every single week, and he's a diabetic. He cannot eat his own cookies and breads that he makes because there's joy there, guys. Do not believe that everything in your life is to be stolen away in a scarcity mentality by your neighbor or by a friend or by somebody else who's hurt you. I believe God wants his people to hope again in our neighborhoods, at work, an open life. What would that look like, guys? We should get together sometime. I believe is one of the biggest cop-outs in our culture today. We should get together sometime. Who would you say this to in the last few months? We all know that that doesn't really mean a whole lot these days. And I want to challenge you with that. When will you close the loop with these people and actually get together with them? Or we need to stop saying we should get together sometime. Give them a hug and say, you're awesome. We should get together sometime. Invite them in. Maybe you're one step away from that. Remember, guys, the one thing, hospitality is an open life, not simply a full table. Everyone can open their lives to somebody else. And I want to leave with a really simple application of this. What one person or family will you invite into your life this week? Not 50, you don't have to throw a big party, doesn't have to be ornate, doesn't have to be a banquet or a feast. What one person or family will you invite into your life this week? Let's pray. God, your relationship with us is the ultimate in hospitality. That while we were still sinners, you reached down to us. 
And in that reaching down, you drop Jesus on earth to show us an example, to be the most hospitable person who's ever lived. A man of mission, a man of margin, that had an open life, that embraced the interruptions to be in relationship with us. God, I pray for each person this week will be invited back into relationship. Each family, each individual, God, would you come and show them your love in those moments? Would that coffee be transformed into communion, those meals transformed into communion, those conversations transformed into communion? Might it be the act of worship from Trace Church, expressed through hospitality, loving, caring presence to other people. Amen.